Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Dory McWhorter, the CEO of the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago. Since joining the organization as CEO in March of 2013, Dory has embarked on a journey to transform the 140-year-old social service agency to a 21st century social enterprise. A proven leader in the corporate and social chain sectors, Dory prides herself on being a socially conscious business leader throughout her career. She's an active member of Chicago's civic, business, and philanthropic communities. Most recently, she was a partner at Crow Horwith LLP, one of the largest accounting firms in the United States. She's also held senior positions with Snap-on Incorporated and Booz Allen Hamilton. Dory is also active in the accounting profession, having served as a member of the board of directors of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and a board of directors for the Illinois CPA Society. Dory also serves on the board of directors for several organizations, including the Metropolitan Club, Chicago Finance Exchange, and Chicago Child Care Society. Dory is also a member of the Executive Council of Miss Tech Advancing Women Businesses and Technology and a board member of the Chicago Center for Arts and Technology. As an engaged community leader, Dory served as a member of uh, Mayor Emanuel's second term transitional team. She's also a board member of the Illinois of the State of Illinois Charitable Trust. Dory received a Bachelor's of Business Administration from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and an MBA from Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. And if you're from Chicago, you know that Dory is a powerhouse within the city and is always um, willing to share the knowledge that she's gained over her career. So it was an honor for me to get to sit with her for some time to learn from her. And so I hope that you get a lot from this conversation with Dory. Dory, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. You know I'm like your biggest groupie, so the oh. fact that you decided to do this is, is really, really amazing. Well, the feeling is mutual, lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know currently you run a nonprofit, but prior to this, you had a whole career, right? And so thinking back to when you started, what was your first like big girl job? Interesting. So my first job out of college, I'll say, is I started my career at a large public accounting firm at the time, Arthur Anderson, which is no longer here. But that was my first job out of college, which I would consider my my first real professional career job. And how did you end up there? Is it something that you knew that you always wanted to do? Or were you mentored into that? Like, how did you decide that that's where you would start? Well, interestingly enough, I knew pretty early that I wanted to be an accountant or a CPA pretty early. Really? Really early. I was a super nerd. I had actually um, written a letter to Santa back when I was 11 years old, 11 and a half or so, stating that I wanted to um, get a few things from him for okay. Christmas, and one was to ask my parents if I could be their accountant. So, <laughs> what? so I just took my yeah. first accounting class for my MBA. Okay. It's something I end up here, Jordan. No. Like, it is hard. It is hard, but I read when I was a little girl, I did a nonfiction book report, which led me to want to become an accountant, that said an accountant made $30,000 for 30 minutes at a board meeting. And after that, I was like, I was good at math, so I must become an accountant. And so I really started focusing on it, and just through a series of being involved with inroads, for example, and having internships like that really helped crystallize for me that that was the profession that I wanted to be in. And you talked about writing this letter to Santa asking to be your parents' mm-hmm. accountant. Were they in the corporate setting? Were they oh, God, no. They didn't know. They were like, what is she talking about? <laughs> 
my parents were very blue collar and my dad worked in the factory at the time and my mom worked retail and so they were so I had no clue right I just knew that they filed taxes every year so I could file their taxes for them and of course they did not let me <laughs> no, I hope not. no and now they let me and I'm like I don't want to <laughs> so in your first job did you have like, how do you then navigate that world, right? Because it's not something that you can go back to your parents and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, this is happening in the workplace. I'm thinking about this. Can you help me? So how did you navigate Sure, that? and it was a different world. Like, literally, I think about even, you know, because I did come from just a, a working-class family and so didn't necessarily even know my place settings, right? And so had to go to corporate dinners and literally I would, would grab my knife and fork last once I figured out everybody else's, how everyone else did their thing. Mm -hmm. And you look Literally, I just learned by looking at role models or modeling others' behavior in terms of um, some of the corporate etiquette, I would say. Mm -hmm. But then a part of me was also just looking to make sure that I took advantage of this opportunity because I recognized it was a good opportunity. And so I enjoyed the work, and so I really would try to work everyone else under the table, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was my mindset that I'm going to work the hardest, be the smartest, do the best, and... Um, that's what drove me at the time because I really thought I was in an environment that sort of honored and recognized that, which we know that public accounting can be a grind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's intended to churn and burn, right? And I was like, it's not going to burn me. I'm going to churn <laughs> with it, right? And so that's just the way I chose to adapt. And then was there a lot of diversity when you were, when you first started? So did you have black females within the firm or you, who you looked up to or who kind of saw you, saw that you worked, and, like, took you on as a mentee? It's interesting because I actually, cause, uh, because I was with Arthur Anderson at a time, it was probably more diverse than most of the other public accounting firms during that particular time. And because I was here in Chicago, that attributed to the diversity. Mm -hmm. And then even I transferred to Atlanta, and that was also very diverse. And so it wasn't actually until I got into other corporate jobs or uh, other clients that I saw that corporate America actually wasn't as diverse as at least my circle was. Because even in my start class at Anderson, and we actually have a group of girlfriends that we're still friends to this day that were all black women that started at the same time. And we were like, wow, now I realize what an, I guess, an anomaly that was. But at the time, it was just what we knew. And we had support organizations like the National Association for Black Accountants. And so we could find sort of our tribe within this large accounting firm. And so obviously you didn't stay at Arthur Anderson for your entire career. Sure. When... So back then and now, when have you known that it was time to move on to your next opportunity? Sure, and partially for me, it was all about if I was still learning and growing. I had transferred to Atlanta with Arthur Anderson, and at that time was in an environment where I wasn't being, in my opinion, as challenged as I was when I was in Chicago, and decided that you know I was doing good things here, but I could do more. Mm -hmm. And so actually, one of my colleagues from Chicago had gone to work at a company in Atlanta and called me and said, hey, you know, this is a great environment. You had really enjoy it and so I decided to move there and then didn't enjoy it <laughs> which, <laughs> partially, happens. which happens and partially because I had gone from accounting to the professional services environment to an industry job it was telecom at the time and I really was still used to just a different pace and environment so ended up going on to Booz Allen and Hamilton from that job which again brought me back into the high past mm -hmm. fast learning fast contributing mm -hmm. environment that I tend to thrive in got it and so when you were Booze, the diversity. Well, how was that like? Because I know consulting is a different. It, it is, but you know, partially I think it's place because 
I was in Atlanta as well. Mm. And it had a little more diversity than I think a lot of other organizations have. And so um, actually one of my best girlfriends to this day, I met in Atlanta, African-American woman at Booz Allen um, because of the experience that we shared. And plus, I think, again, because it was Atlanta and it was Booz Allen and it would be in a larger firm environment, you probably had on average a more commitment to diversity Mm -hmm. than you do at other organizations Mm -hmm. and other firms. And it was interesting because Booz Allen at the time had a lot of diversity because they had experienced hires, because they had like ex-military that they also hired. Mm -hmm. It just was a, a more diverse environment almost by default. And you've mentioned a couple of times about your tribe and the group of women that you, you know, have gone through your career with. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people want to figure out, like, how do you do that, right? So you're in a space, maybe you're new to the industry. How were you intentional about cultivating your tribe? Did you even know that it was something that was important? Well, I don't know that I knew it was important as much as, you know, we were just talking about with my leadership team, the values of our organization that we want to ensure that we're articulating. And I think for me, an underlying value has always been to be in environments where I enjoy the work. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that sounds frivolous to many people, but I, I mean, joy is a real thing when you think the opposite of joy is misery, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for me, it's been about being around people and work that I enjoy. And when I enjoy it, you end up um, finding other, I think, points of connection, Mm -hmm. whether that's on race and gender and those type of attributes, but also just people that, you know, appreciate um, how your style is or whatever the case may be. Because I think about even when I was at Anderson and when we didn't have very diverse team, we had, we just still had great experiences because these were people that we could do hard work with, but also have a lot of fun with. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about, um, you know, the joy in the work and having Mm -hmm. fun in the work. Something that's been discussed a lot more, I think, as it pertains to corporate America is your authentic self. Absolutely. And the the line of the authentic authentic self is different based on who you are. Mm -hmm. So for you, how have you managed to, well, do you feel like you are at a place where you bring your authentic self to work? Mm -hmm. Um, And do you think that corporate America is changing and being able to accept the authenticity in the different forms that it comes in? You know, I think that every organization is different, right? And I think that there's ranges of authenticity. Like, I have a range, we all do, have a range of um, what we choose to express at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've become a master of understanding what's acceptable for me in my authentic range and what's not acceptable for Mm -hmm. me in my authentic range. What do you mean? Well, I think that, you know, we want to bring our whole selves to work, but the reality of it is, is that sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't, but then we have to recognize what parts of ourselves we can truly um, bring in the context of that, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that we we often think that work should embody all of us, and it doesn't, and it won't. And so, to the degree that we can find sort of that happy medium, where within that context of that experience that you can still still show up and feel good about that, mm-hmm. then that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's about understanding that balance and and feeling that. I will say at this particular job at the YWCA that I feel like I'm probably showing more range of my authentic self than I probably have in prior jobs. And why do you think that is? Well, I think a couple things because... You know, I think about just, as I mentioned, you know, coming from a working class environment and um, and having young parents and all of that, that's not something that I even referenced or thought about mm-hmm. when I was in my previous job roles. But now I can openly talk about that as being something that 
actually drives me to want to create opportunities for people that would have been like me or my parents back in the day, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that being able to relate to that and being part of my experience or drawing on that experience is something I can do here that to some degree wasn't necessarily either as relevant in, in my job at Arthur Anderson mm-hmm. or quite honestly, no one cared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I think that that's part of, you know, understanding you are a sum of your total experiences, but there's some pieces of that experience you leverage at different times over others. Um, And I think, so when people talk about you, the one consistent thing that is said regardless of where you meet that person is that Dory is intentional about opening doors for others. Is that because of how you grew up? Like, why why is that something that you do so frequently? it's like breathing for you. Literally, when you talk, to, when people talk to you, it's like, oh, I have this person that can help you with this and this. And it's like, it's almost automatic for you. Why do you think that is? Well, I think a couple things. I think that we all need to contribute. And if I could be a resource for someone, I tend to lead with that. Okay. Um, and partially, I think we were just talking about our values from the organization's perspective. And I think. Um, And one of the questions the facilitator asked us was, what are sort of the values that your parents gave you and how you see those values continuing? And I think that that is a value that my, my parents gave me is that my dad and mom were both very almost open to what you could, how you could support others. And more importantly, my dad would be very much, he would always say that, you know, no one is better than you, but you're no better than anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so to that degree, you developed, for me at least, this, um, level of humility that that allows me to lead with hey we're peers how can I support you mm. so you see everyone as a peer absolutely really even though you're the CEO of a company girl please that's a title <laughs> so what does that mean because some people when they get the title you know that's some of the, the stereotypes that we'll talk about that people get of like when women get in power and how that you know shows up in the world and so how have you managed to remain humble because you are like the buck stops with you at this organization well I think titles are one things but I, I do think that there is um probably to a lot of people knowingly I could probably be very annoying in the fact that I don't necessarily honor the title in and of itself that I truly honor the person mm. and I just think that that's just a quality that we are I truly believe that we are all equal, and I just think that we just all have different gifts and skills, but in terms of being a human being, we're all valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for me to get past that and start assigning other things, which to my assistant's chagrin that um, I take every meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is that it takes longer because I take every meeting because I don't prioritize people. It really becomes a function of schedules, like who's available when, and that's how I schedule people not who's more important than who got it got it and so you are at the level that most people or people think that they aspire to right to be Mm -hmm. the CEO of a company what has surprised you the most about being the like the final say within a company that people think that you're the final say in a company (laughs) (laughs) no because I think people just attribute so and you know it's I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound bad like when rich people like money doesn't matter but and I'll say titles don't matter but being a CEO it's easier to say that right (laughs) but but I do think that um you know the surprising thing is I do think people put more weight to the role and so they put more baggage to me and assumptions or place more assumptions on me because of the role without even knowing me Mm. and like the assumption that I'm not accessible or that um 
or somehow I even know all the answers. And I tell my team that all the time. I'm like, I don't know. We just all making this up. Can we just be honest about this, right? I'm doing the best that I can based on the experiences that I have and what I know, which is why I value everyone because it's, I've read somewhere and I'm like, and I just took it as my own. It's, it's quite possible that someone knows something you don't. Like literally everyone knows something that you don't. And so for me, when I meet anybody, I walk into that knowing like, what can I learn from you? Because you'll have a perspective that there's just po- quite possibly, there's no way I could ever know that. Mm-hmm. And I value that so much because that's what makes the world so beautiful is that you have 7 billion people with 7 billion experiences that can bring perspective to you at any one time. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you know, you seem pretty grounded um, in your role in all of this, right, mm-hmm. and, and what makes your organization run. How has mentorship played a role in, you know, where you are, how you think um, as it pertains to life and career? Well, for me, it's been about tapping into these people that have had different experiences mm-hmm. and perspective that I could you know, learn from at any time, particularly when I know that they may have experienced that in the past, right? And so I could say, hmm, because I know you've done these things, I would love to hear your perspective. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm very specific around saying that it's a perspective. I don't take other people's advice. I don't ask for advice. I ask for perspective. Because What's no, to me, the difference is someone telling you what to do, but but they can only tell you based on their experiences and they're not ever living your experiences. So I don't give advice. I give people my perspective and, and quite honestly, it's tweetable. I don't ask for advice. I ask for perspective. And I warn people that if I tell you this, I am not telling you what to do. I am sharing a perspective and granted my perspective is going to be filled with my fears, my hopes, my beliefs and all of that. And that's why I don't take people's advice because usually people are telling you all their fears when they're like, don't do this because this will happen and this is so bad. And and that's what happened to you, sweetheart. But that may not be what happens to me. (laughs) Right. And that's why I say I take perspective and then recognize what experiences may have brought them that perspective. And then... I got to write it down, I got to write it down. Well, you got it recorded. So you can listen. I need to to put tattoos on some part of my body. No. Advice, it's perspective. I get perspective, and people ask me for so called advice, and I put quotes around that all the time. And I'm like, I can only share perspective and hope that you funnel that perspective through your system of beliefs and hopes and dreams and expectations for yourself because that will determine your outcome, not my advice. (laughs) And so, how have you found or cultivated relationships with these people that you ask for perspective, right? Because a lot of people, Mm -hmm. they they hear that they should have a mentor or a sponsor. They see other people have it, but they don't necessarily know how to go about getting it for themselves. Sure. Well, part of it is, you know, putting yourself in places where you can meet good people that you think would, that you share. Most of the time, if you're in the same place with people, you have at least one one sort of point of connection, right, because you have a shared experience. And then as you get just talk to people and get to know them, um, you figure out, one, if you like them, like, and if they really do, if you look at their background, if they have perspective that the, the benefit of talking to other people and having mentors is because they have lived some type of experience, and so theoretically you should be able to gain from that experience without having to relive that experience, mm-hmm. right, or have that same type of experience. And so I really look for people that, Um, have experiences that I may not have or that I may want to have one day so that I can get their perspective based on those experiences. Got it. And we touched on this part of it briefly. I'm always interested when we get to the culture part Mm -hmm. and the stereotypes part, right? So your reputation is like a sweet, kind woman, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that 
we as black women, there are certain stereotypes that people try to like associate with us, right? Do you think consciously about not showing up as an angry black woman or like how you wear your hair and all of those things as you've navigated through your career? And has it changed as you've become more senior? You know, it's interesting because I don't necessarily, see I actually have the opposite effect in the sense that people think I'm nice. And, you know, and it's sad, but the fact that people think I'm nice, they either don't think I'm serious or don't think I'm smart or think I'm some, or I'm a little flighty or flippant. And so I've had to deal with the converse of that. Mm. And so for me, um, I'm conscious of that, right? And so I tend to probably double down on being a little sh- demonstrating. That's really the re- really the reason I t- also keep CPA behind <laughs> my name because I'm like, I could be nice, but if I got a CPA, it has to be a little bit of intelligence mm-hmm. affiliated with that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just, um, I'm conscious of that piece of it. And because I am, I'm not only black, but I'm a five foot 10 black woman, so a black woman of stature, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm mindful too of how people can, perceive me to be more intimidating or not, right? Mm-hmm. And I, that's probably where the niceness ends up balancing in a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, you know, I've gotten to the point where, again, I, I believe that people hold whatever beliefs and perspectives that they have in their interaction with me is either going to affirm or, or um, counter that. So I just choose to show up how I am and let them deal with it. And is that a skill that you've always had? You know, I think one I've gained more confidence in over time because, again, this thing about perspective, what I've learned is that everyone's experiences drive their perspective. And so over time, you just have gone, I have at least recognized that and decided that I'm not going to let their perspectives drive my experiences as well. And thinking back to when you were, and you didn't have this perspective and you were more of like a middle manager, Mm -hmm. what skills did you have to cultivate in yourself outside of knowing that? that you feel make you able to be excellent at the job that you have now? I think, you know, and, and people, I'm going to say it, but I do think that um, it's really important is just that self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's so important because it's particularly at a middle manager level, right, because you have an opportunity to really shape and define what your leadership is going to look like for the future. And the only way you can do that is really figuring out who you are so that you can choose to show up in, authentic, in your authentic self or decide that what you don't, think will be helpful for you and choose to change it but it has to be a decision that you make coming from you and really you know taking those like I you know it's funny all those assessments that you know whether it's Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or any of all these different assessments out there or the Facebook quizzes whatever works for you (laughs) (laughs) I think that they all provide some again um insight into your preferences Mm -hmm. and I think that then you need to take those preferences and honor those preferences and figure out then how you will choose or what you will choose to do about it either you say hey this is something I'm good with I'm going to stay on this course or this is something that may or may not be limiting for me Um, if it's going to be limiting is it limiting because the environment that I want I'm choosing to be in or should I choose an environment that that won't be as limiting for me so I just think that we need to be self-aware so we can make deliberate choices and don't let ourselves get caught up in the wind Mm -hmm. and end up in places that then you know we look in 20 years in and we're miserable that's how how it happens exactly and you're how do you get here it's because you never stopped and said this is and made deliberate choices about what you like or what you don't like and I think that's what I end up learning pretty early Mm -hmm. that I was just making choices about what I really wanted. And how do you get confident enough to make those choices? Because I think a lot of times 
you don't want to make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the person that, you know, something happens, everybody's like, oh, look at Dory, Dory messed that up. And in your mind, you create this environment where it's like, oh my God, when I make this mistake, it's over for me, mm-hmm. right? So how do you, one, have you had a mistake where you thought was going to be just like the worst thing and it turned out not to be that? But then how do you gain the confidence to say, yes, this is what I want and I'm going to stand in that? You know, it's interesting. So one, um, you know, it's, it's it's all a mistake, right? It's all... <laughs> And by mistake, I mean it's all live and learn, right? And I actually say I don't make mistakes. I just have unplanned learning opportunities. And so for me, it really is about um, live and learn and exploring. You know, this is what this life is about. I always say there's 7 billion people in this world, and no one has figured out the patent on living because it's all, we're all experimenting, right? Mm-hmm. And in and, and somewhere along the way, I, one, I realized that, partially by looking at other people and saying, hmm, they didn't get it right either, or at least according to their plan Mm -hmm. and no one ever does and so for whatever reason right wrong or indifferent that gave me some type of security that you know I'm just gonna figure it out as I go Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna live and learn and that's all we can do and I just am so I'm actually pretty um resolute in the fact that I just don't live my life trying to avoid mistakes. I try to to live with the, I always say people make the best decisions with the best information at the time. Mm -hmm. And I trust that. And if you know better, you do better. And Mm -hmm. so, but you just have to keep living to to be able to learn those things and adjust when it doesn't work for you. Can you think back and maybe share one of those unplanned learning experiences? You know, it's, you know, it's, I'm asked this question a lot just mm-hmm. because everyone wants to hear your mistakes. Well, not that, not, not that, that, but we, I well, think the mistake is not what matters, it's how you recover Right. Well, and I, and I, because I relate to it so differently that I don't even qualify those mistakes because, and I'll tell you, I'll give you an example for So when I chose to, I mentioned that I had gone to Anderson, the company at the time was Bell South, no longer exists, I think it's Amer. I don't even know what it is anymore, <laughs> um, might be an, I think it's AT&T, but anywho, um, so I went from Anderson to Bell South to Booz Allen, and this was all within like a year period. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, um, and stayed at Booz Allen for a year, then decided to go back to, um, to move back to Chicago because I was in Atlanta. So let's just, so the first five years of my career experience, I literally had seven employers. Is that right? Or seven years, five employers, something like that. It was okay. a small period of time, and I'll have to count them to get them right. Um, it must have been the first, anywho, but no, I think it was because I had been at Anderson for four years. I literally stayed at Bell South three months with Booz Allen for a year, went to Catholic Healthcare, Healthcare Audit Network and went to Crow. So five companies, seven years. Okay. So a lot of activity really that occurred over those sort of last three years. Yep. And so when I was talking to one of my mentors at the time, he was like, well, when I was making a decision to move back from Atlanta to Chicago and going to another company as a result of that, he was saying, well, you can't keep moving. I was 28 at the time, so that gives me the math. It was seven years. Okay. <laughs> um, five company or whatever, five companies, seven years. And, um, when, and he was saying, well, you're not young anymore. You can't just keep making moves without having some consequence on your career. And I was like, I hear you, but I'm still leaving, right? And I did my thing. And so one would say, you know, I made a mistake that I should have stayed in one place longer than the other, vice versa. But what ended up happening literally because of, you know, first of all, being at Booz Allen, even for a year, was like dog years, right? You got seven years' worth of experience Mm -hmm. really compressed into a year because it was intense, right? And so... 
when I look back on that experience, those experiences that happened in that sort of compressed time in my career, mm -hmm. I learned so much. And I literally, I sit here today in this job and know so much random stuff about random things. And people are like, how do you know that? It's because I did this or did this or did that. And so for me, what could have been looked at a, as a career mistake, and actually was looked at as a career mistake by some, it was one of the best learning opportunities I had and provided me great insight into a lot of different industries and areas. I know a lot about healthcare that I shouldn't probably know. I know a lot about manufacturing. I know a lot about, you know, professional services. Organization. I know a lot about random things because of the experiences I've had. And one would say that the way I got those experiences was a mistake. Got it. Got it. You know? And so now you are, you've exited corporate in the traditional sense. Sure. What was that decision process like for you? So for me, that was really, you know, it was interesting. I had come at sort of a, um, almost a, a decision point in my career as I was had, had joined my um, the firm um, with the partners that I was working with at Arthur Anderson and so was at Crow um, Horwath and really thinking about what was sort of be my next move. Enjoyed my experience at Crow but was also on the board of the YWCA and had the opportunity to consider um, the leadership role here, and I knew that I loved the work that the YWCA did and wanted to be able to contribute that and felt that it was a good time that it could use some of the business skills that I had, and so decided that I would throw my name in the hat and was happy that um, I was selected to do the role. But so for me, it was more about where can I contribute my next set of skills, which, by the way, was always sort of the lens that I looked at um, when I was thinking about career opportunities. So where do your skills Where can I contribute? Value? Where can I add value? And what can I, how can I receive value? So it's, for me, it was always about growth. Okay. And not necessarily in financial terms, but just growth and knowledge, and really expansion, I would call it. Even at the senior level in your career? Because I think they, the narrative is, you learn when you're a middle manager, and then you're the expert when you're at the top. And that's the biggest falsity I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I think that that's, un unfortunately, from a human experience perspective, that we should never stop learning, right? And, and that not even learning not learning in the traditional sense in terms of acquiring more information, but really expanding perspective, right? That even even people that are the most highly educated people have not received expanded perspective. We see that in our current sort of political environment, that there's people that have education and not expanded perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think expanded perspective is something I always go for um, in terms of just understanding how different sides or different people or um, really because there's so many experiences to be had in this world and I just want to understand them. Um, and then so right now we see that entrepreneurship is a huge thing right and especially you look at black people and then black women. Mm -hmm. um, what has kept you in a corporate setting for this long or have you ever considered being an entrepreneur? You know, it's interesting. I, you know, this term entrepreneur is how I classify myself and I've actually had that from the very beginning of my career. Even when I was at Anderson, I joined a new practice which ultimately led me to do some other things. And so I think the process to me that entrepreneurship gives people, whether it's, you know, in the ability to create and solve new problems, which is what entrepreneurs are typically looking to do, um, or express an idea, or you know, really put their resources and energy around a certain interest that they may have. I feel that I'm able to have those the attributes of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. in this in a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. um, 
or an organization like I've had with the YWCA, I've been able to fully express sort of a lot of those entrepreneurial attributes right here. Mm -hmm. And that's what kept me going. You know, I don't feel that I need to necessarily go outside of sort of the organizations that I've been in to find those type of things. Got it. And then every time I talk about this, I get stressed out, but work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that, especially for women, it comes from women that you Mm -hmm. share balance. Are you at the place in your career where you feel like you have work-life balance, and what does that look like for you? I do what I want to do, right? And so people would say I have no work-life balance, right? And because I work a lot. But I like what I do, so I work a lot, so that makes me happy, and so that's what I do. I have a very great relationship with my husband that, um, so Monday through Friday, I stay here in Chicago, and he lives in another state, and on the weekends, we figure it out, but I love what I do, and so this works for us, mm-hmm. and that's just what we do. So I so I don't even, I call it life, and we choose it choose to use these life hours engaged however makes us happy and um, I just think it's we just need to be able to accommodate whatever the needs of our life are at that time and figure out you know clearly we've defined work hours within certain parameters but particularly with my role definitely a CEO there are no such parameters Um, I'm never closed right and so For me, I just, that's why it's so important. I go back to an earlier comment that I made about finding joy in what you do because if I'm going to be accessible 24-7, I need to like it, (laughs) you know. And so for me, this notion of work-life balance, and I get it, but I think that that actually gets defined by the individual um, because everyone's balance is going to be different um, because even, you know, all the different interests you have, are you working? Or are you expressing your interest? Or what are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. So I really hope that one day we redefine the word work and just talk about different ways we choose to be intellectually engaged or whatever the case may be, or creatively engaged. Because all of these things that we do in life are just different ways for us to express ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how we categorize these things just ends up, I think, putting a lot of burden on people. <laughs> am I doing it right? right? Am I, am I Exactly. Like, am I? I like. Am I happy? Am I happy? Cool. That's my only measurement. (laughs) And I'm oversimplifying things, but I'm I'm very serious about that. Like, am I happy? Like, some, like I, I'll get here at seven o'clock in the morning just because this was on my mind, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. I'm not stressed. I'm not. You know, I do self care because I sleep the entire weekend sometimes. But it just, you know. To me, it's about being happy and recognizing what that is. And that looks different from every for everybody. And I respect and honor that, right? So just because I'm working crazy, I do not expect that from my team because everyone has different demands on their life hours. And I just, I just tell them, if you need me, I'm here. And I let them tell me when they're accessible to me or not. And you mentioned your staff, and I probably should have come on sure. this earlier. So promotions, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is talking to you about a promotion, what things should they have thought through before they come and have a conversation with you? Value. The value that they're going to bring, the value that they've already delivered, how having them in a new role will create greater value for them and the organization. Mm -hmm. It's all about value to me. All about value. Mm -hmm. Not time, value. Never time. Because a lot of times I think people get frustrated. Like, I've been in this position for five years and I haven't been promoted. Never about time. Okay. Never about time. Always focus on Always value. To me, it's what are you creating, what value you created, will create, um, by being in a different role. And so if there is a young lady 
um, who's listening to this now, who's trying to figure out, like, is corporate America for me? Like, do I need to stay in this environment? What maybe top two questions you would recommend that she ask herself? The self-reflection is real, right? Like, what is it that you want? What can you accomplish? Um, what do you want to accomplish for yourself? What makes you feel good? Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important because often we look outside for other things to make us feel good or to be validating for us, and that it's not just gonna, ha- it's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important to understand what exactly are you looking for. I often talk to a lot of people that want to. Sw- from corporate America to nonprofits because somehow they think that's a better environment. And I'm like, yeah. It's going to be easier. Yeah, crappy people work everywhere. Let me tell you, they are not, nonprofits do not have the market on nice people working there. That's just not true. And so, but what I think is important is that really understanding what is it, what, what do you want to get out of this experience, right? Like, like, and that's why I think self-reflection is so important, to really understand what makes you happy, what makes you, what excites you, what makes you thrive, and then find environments that can support that. And that may be on your own, but that's not always easy. It's a hustle, right? It's hard. Um, that's not always the right answer. But maybe there's other environments that can be more supportive of you um, or other supervisor or other leaders. So I think that you can always find what you're looking for by being truly honest about what it is that you're, what you want and what will really fulfill that for you. Got it, got it. So we're going to do the lightning round now. Okay. Don't overthink it. Sure. First thing that comes to mind, and I'm going to rephrase this question based on something that you said earlier. So what's one piece of career perspective that you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? Don't take other people's advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your career? Self-awareness and the importance of putting self first in that equation. Mm. What's one book that's either had the biggest impact on your career or that you could read over and over again? blueprint to a billion and it's 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 a business book but it just shows you that there's that there's a number of ways and that that talking about that billion dollar inflection point and I just think from a career perspective it's important to to know that all strategies can be effective it just depends on the people and understanding that you're putting the pieces in place to support that strategy and then the last question as we hear often a lot of the decisions about your career are made when you're not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Two things. One, I do hope that they think I'm kind because that is important to me, but not um, but not in an inauthentic way, not that you're just being nice to people, but they truly they feel good around being because they're around you and that I'm authentic. And hopefully my biggest, biggest hope in the world is that by me being my authentic self, it truly gives other people permission to be their authentic self. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important for all of us to sort of show up in the world and see what can happen. Thank you so much for talking to me this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I got so many gems. Well, thank you for spending time listening to me pontificate. I am excited. Thank you. Thank you. Now, did I lie or is Dory amazing? Um, As you can tell from my interview, I really, really, really enjoyed my time with her. There's just something about Dory's spirit that is uplifting and it just makes you feel like you can conquer the world. And so the three takeaways that I got from Dory that I... Hope everybody got as well. First, being self-aware is the first step to creating the career that you want. Second, ask for perspective, not advice. And the third thing, you decide what the balance for your life looks like. 
As always, if you want to continue the conversation, join us in our Facebook group at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.